please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. My heart is full today, full of joy and thankfulness to God for his grace to us as a church. Surely there is no greater sign of God's favor upon a church than to have some of the young people who were raised in this church raise up and dedicate their own children to the Lord. It is a remarkable sign of God's favor, and I pray that it continues all the more. My heart is also full because we as pastors have talked for some time about the reality that Christians will not mature in the Christian life only through one sermon a week, and how can we get more teaching to the people? And so the ladies of the church were gathered yesterday as they received teaching in a women's ministry meeting. This morning in Sunday school, uh, Nathan Smith was teaching there. There is preaching now. There is preaching and pizza. Two sermons happening after the service, and then tonight is renewing your mind here at the church. And so I feel like now at last I can die in peace, having filled the church with the teaching of the word of God. Some of you might be doing all those things today. You get the Lord's Day Award if you're doing it from like five sermons in, in one day. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Our sermon title is Stories of Deliverance. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11. But I will begin reading in verse 3. And I'd like to invite you to please stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's word. Second Corinthians 1, verse 3. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him 
we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. May God bless the preaching of his word. And Father, we ask that you would continue just as you have been ministering to us during this gathering, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would continue to minister to us through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever thought of your life in this way, but this passage that we just read gives us a paradigm for understanding every trial that we have ever faced in life and any trial that we are presently facing in life. Stories of deliverance. I firmly believe that when we get to heaven, and some of our brothers and sisters have made it there before us, but when we get to heaven, we will look back on our lives and see hundreds of stories of deliverance that God has written in our lives. In the midst of hardship, we don't always see it. And in fact, most of the time, we don't tend to see the story. In, in the midst of peril, we don't tend to see the purpose. We don't naturally understand what God is doing. But one glorious day, that will change. And on that day, we will see that what appeared to us to be chaos and confusion, what we did not understand, the tears that we shed, was in fact the loving wisdom of an almighty God. We will see a God who is for us. And one day, every trial and everything in our lives that appeared to be a meaningless burden, what appeared to be a senseless sorrow, was in fact moments that our gracious God was filling our lives with stories of deliverance and rescue. It's what he's doing in your life. And on that day, you will praise him. On that day, you will sing all my life. He has been faithful. And you will give thanks and declare, as Paul does in this text, he has delivered us. And you will declare and we will declare with one voice that our God is a deliverer who has delivered us again and again. The end changes the way we view the story. Do you remember the Eagles and the Giants football game in 2010 called the Miracle in the New Meadowlands or Miracle in the Meadowlands 2? I know you do. Just under eight minutes of play in the fourth quarter, the Eagles are down by 21 points. Michael Vick leads them to score not one, not two, not three, but four unanswered touchdowns as time expires with seven minutes and 28 seconds of play left. Deshaun Jackson has the punt return, fumbles it, picks it up, runs back for a touchdown as time expires to secure the W, cut the film to Giants coach Tom Coughlin on the sidelines doing what Coughlin does, upset, throwing down the headset. It's like the best movie ever. 
whatever trial you are presently in and whatever sorrows and perplexities and difficulties weigh upon us, here's where we are in that story. We are now in the fourth quarter of that game with seven and a half minutes left. In the moment, it felt awful. In the moment, it felt hopeless, game over. But now we look back on that game as one of the great moments in Eagles history. That's what it will one day be like, Christian, when you look back on your life. But thank God, instead of Deshaun Jackson being the hero, the hero is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our great deliverer. Every moment of sorrow and despair in our lives will only serve to highlight the greatness of God's story of deliverance. He is writing that story in your life. And so take this truth and, and connect it to your life. Have you ever been or are you presently in a situation that feels totally hopeless? A situation in which you find yourself in a place of despair you find yourself not knowing what to do. You feel like you can't go on. In my own life, I think of when I was a student teacher and the teacher's goal seemed to be to make me miserable by giving me failing marks. And I was wondering, am I going to graduate? I'm working at this as hard as I can and she seems set against me. Or I think of my daughter's battle with cancer years ago and the desperation that we felt in that moment. The Apostle Paul, the author of this letter to the Corinthians, suffered more than most of us. And yet the point that he makes here in 2 Corinthians 1 is that we will all know our share of suffering and sorrows. In verse 5, Paul says that the Christian life in this world is this rhythm of affliction and comfort. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And that same truth is repeated then in verse 7. The larger context of this letter is instructive. One of the reasons that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth is that the church there was saying that Paul's suffering discredited his ministry. It does not look like a powerful life to me. Looks like Paul knows weakness and suffering and rejection and hardship. So some apostle he is claims to be an apostle. Why all the suffering then? And so Paul writes to them and says, you do not understand God's purpose in suffering and weakness. You, you don't understand the story he is writing. And at the end of this letter, the great apostle will spend considerable time explaining why he glories in weakness and why he boasts in the things that show his weakness, the very thing that they were saying discredit his ministry. In chapter 11, he outlines his suffering, imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. He says, five times I received 40 lashes, three times beaten with rods, once stoned, three times shipwrecked, 
Danger from robbers, danger from false brothers, danger in cities, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. But then in chapter 12, verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Left to ourselves, we would choose trouble-free lives. But then, our lives would have no stories of deliverance. And what we see in this passage is that we have a part to play. Yes, it is God who delivers, but we have a part to play in the story of deliverance that God is writing in our lives. So what I want us to consider is this. What, what part do we play in that story? What must we do? as God continues his faithfulness in writing this story in our lives. Four words that will be four points. Inform, rely, remember, and invite. Look at each of those from verses 8 through 11. First, inform. Inform. Make sure others know your struggles. He says, beginning in verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We've experienced affliction. We don't want you to be unaware. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, we don't know the exact nature of the affliction Paul faced here, but it seems clear that it was a life-threatening event. It was a great burden, and Paul emphasizes the severity of this particular trial. He despaired of life itself. He says, there is no way that I could get out of this situation on my own. He says, I, I was crushed beneath this great weight. I was hopeless. He knows that he is in way over his head, that his circumstances were too great for him. The words that he uses in the original describe his anguish. Those words often signify emotional and physical distress. It seems that there is physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental aspects to this condition and this despair that he articulates so utterly burdened Beyond our strength, we despaired of life itself. And so the Christian is at that place, and what does he say? We do not want you to be unaware. And so he tells them his affliction. He informs them. Brothers and sisters, don't keep it to yourself. I beg you, do not keep it to yourself. Don't think I've got this on my own. However large or however small the trial may be, sometimes we do a better job sharing the big trials than we do sharing the smaller ones that we face. But the lesson here is that we cannot stay silent. Whether it is spiritual challenges, depression, health issues, financial strains, problems at work, anxiety, addictions, mistreatment, a loss you have faced, a disappointment, the motto that informs and shapes Christian community is, we do not want you to be unaware. That's an essential part of fellowship. It's why community group is so important, because there 
we open up our lives. There is where we say, I don't want you to be unaware of the trials that I am facing. Now, of course, when we talk about our, our trials, I'm not talking about complaining. I'm not talking about venting. We shouldn't talk about our problems with a grumbling spirit or for no other purpose than to vent our frustration and anger. When we inform others of the difficulties we face, the goal is not to complain. The goal is not to evoke pity. We should be informing others, but the reason, and we'll see this in the text, is to increase our hope in God and to invite the prayers of others. But it starts there. We do not want you to be unaware. We must inform. Second, rely. Trust in the resurrection power of God. Rely on God. The second half of verse 9 shows God's purpose in affliction. And I'm talking, Christian, about the affliction that you presently face. God has a purpose in it. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That phrase, that was in order to make us rely, that's a statement of purpose. The purpose of God and what is his divine purpose? It is the elimination of self-reliance from our lives, relying not on ourselves, replaced with reliance upon God. The affliction we experienced was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. And I'm telling you, God loves us so much that he will bring us to places we would never choose on our own so that we can rely on him alone. The idea that God won't give you more than you can handle is a lie. If we could handle it, we would rely on ourselves. But it is when we are burdened beyond our strength. My strength can't do it. It's when we are despairing of life itself. It's when we have received the sentence of death that then we are brought to rely on God alone. Because who else can we trust in? Because what else can we rely upon? None but the Lord. Here's the lesson, Christian. We must be more aware of the character and nature of God than we are aware of the difficulty of our circumstances. The Lord is a deliverer. The Lord is our Savior. Our God is, as verse 3 says, the Father of mercies. He is the God of all comfort. He is the sovereign Lord. Notice who this God is according to verse 9. We rely on God who raises the dead. Okay, so of all the things that you need to know about the God who made you and the God that we worship, take this. He is the God who raises the dead. This is who he is. And do you see that life and death emphasis in the passage? Paul says he despaired of life, verse 8. It felt like the sentence of death, verse 9. But God raises the dead. Verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril. So this is, Paul is describing here this, this death experience, and it's a part of sharing in the suffering of Christ. 
Christ is the one who uniquely and alone died in the place of sinners. He came into the world, sent by the Father, willingly came in his great love for us to lay down his life on the cross by dying in our place. His life was a life of suffering and his death culminated in the greatest act of suffering that the world has ever known. And then on the third day, the scriptures teach that he rose victorious, triumphing over sin and death, ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns now over all that he has made. This is our savior. And Paul's experience and the Christian experience of deliverance is seen as a a sort of mini resurrection because we're told it is performed by God who raises the dead. And so Scott Haifman in his commentary explains Paul's experience in Asia was an object lesson of the same divine faithfulness and power portrayed in the cross and resurrection of Christ. As such, it should draw others to join Paul in trusting and praising God in the present as they look to the future. We rely on the God who raises the dead. Your present suffering is the stage of death on which God has chosen to display his resurrection power. The Bible does not teach that suffering is good, but it does teach that God is good and that he uses suffering for our good. And to this day, God continues to show his resurrection power by delivering his people from perilous situations. It says in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, there Paul prays that Christians would come to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. There's a power at work toward you according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's the power... The resurrection power of God that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that is at work in you. The same power that is fighting sin, the same power that is sustaining you in suffering, the same power of the resurrection is the power at work in your life. That's what we rely upon today, the God who raises the dead. Trip Lee is a hip-hop artist. Anyone know the uh, name Trip Lee at all? Just a quick show of hands. Okay, good, yeah. Trip Lee, hip-hop artist. He has a song called Lazarus. If you don't know it, you can rock out to it on the way home today. Trip Lee, Lazarus. It's a song about the God who raises the dead from the perspective of Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. He says, from now on, you can call me Lazarus, former dead man walking, I'm Lazarus. Boy, I hopped out of the grave, good morning. I've been sleeping for too long, I'm yawning. Everybody's talking, trying to see me. Disbelief, like how's he breathing? He was six feet deep. This whole story of his coming to life through the God who raises the dead. There's a line toward the end of that song that says this, and this is what I wanted to share with you. Believers, when your life is looking tough now, when you're at your all-time low, don't forget the power that he already showed. Don't forget the power that God showed in raising Christ from the dead. And do not forget, it is the same power at work in your life. Trust in the resurrection power of God. Third, remember. Remember, meaning 
Feed faith by celebrating past deliverances. Remember. Verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So there was this extraordinary past deliverance in his life, but that was not the only deliverance that was needed. And so Paul was able to look at the past deliverances of God and have them function in his life as he considered present and future deliverances. A past deliverance, he delivered us from such a deadly peril. What does that do? How does it function? It builds confidence. It builds certainty that he will again deliver us. And this confidence is what the Bible calls hope. On him we have set our hope. What is hope? Biblical hope is not something that might happen. It is not wishful thinking. It is the confidence that something that God has guaranteed will indeed happen. That is hope. There's, there's another example of this kind of confidence in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. It's when Paul is in prison, but he says he will rejoice. How? For he says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. He says, I know God is a deliverer. This is going to turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He says, my certain hope is that I am going to be delivered from this situation and I know that because Christ will be honored. Sometimes, the story of deliverance comes through death. But we can say with Paul, as he does in the next verse there in Philippians 1, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is going to turn out for my deliverance. The German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood this hope so well and it was a hope that functioned in his life and it was his hope-filled view of the character of God that enabled him to stand up to Hitler and to be imprisoned and even to be put to death by Nazis. You want to know what hope sounds like? This was New Year's Day, 1943, writing from prison. Bonhoeffer says, I believe that God can and will bring good out of evil, even out of the greatest evil. For that purpose, he needs men who make the best use of everything. I believe that God will give us all the strength we need to help us to resist in all the times of distress. But he never gives it in advance, lest we should rely on ourselves and not on him alone. A faith such as this should allay all our fears for the future. And this passage says that the source of that kind of hope is remembering. Christian, feed your faith by celebrating past deliverances. Where in your life can you look back and say, oh, he has delivered us? Remember that trial? Remember that financial difficulty? Remember that sickness? Remember that person who came against me and slandered me? Remember this opposition? Remember this battle with sin? 
He has delivered us. And then you use that to cultivate a confidence for the future that he will again deliver us from every danger and trial. Inform, rely, remember, and then fourth and last point is invite. Invite, request help in the form of prayer. Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So in addition to remembering the character of God, in addition to remembering him as the one who raises the dead, in addition to recalling his past faithfulness and all of the deliverances he has worked for us, Paul then depended on the prayers of others. This is actually one of the remarkable things. Look for this as you are reading the Bible throughout the week in your devotions and as you're reading the letters of Paul, how frequently he relies upon the prayers of others. He knows he needs the prayer of others and he regularly invites prayers for a specific reason. Colossians 4 verse 3, pray for us. Ephesians 6, 19, make supplication for me. Philippians 1, 19, through your prayers, this will turn out for my deliverance. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1, pray for us. See, requesting prayer is the God-centered way to say, I need help. Requesting prayer is the God-centered way to say, I can't do this on my own. Our help comes from the Lord. Our help comes from God himself. But how does God bring that help? So often, God grants that help in response to the prayers of others. It's not just that, that God delivers us. He delivers us through means. And the means described here is the prayers of others. And brothers and sisters, as we pray for one another, we are tapping into the power of God in a way that an isolated Christian cannot. There are, you can think about it this way, there are fresh supplies of power that are waiting for us that will come through the prayers of the saints. I pray for so many of you and I rejoice that you pray for me. We all right? I'm just wanting to make sure everyone's okay. Are we healthy? We're good? Okay, wonderful. One of the things that I love about being your pastor is that I get to devote myself to the ministry of prayer in praying for your needs and that so many of you pray for me and that you pray for us as pastors. I want you to know that I could not do my job. I could not do what I am doing in this moment were it not for your prayers, the prayers that empower, the prayers that help, the prayers that sustain. You must help me, Paul says. You also must help us by prayer. And then what is the outcome of these stories of deliverance that God is writing in our lives? The, look at the, verse, the end of verse 11. It says, so that, so this is again the outcome of this deliverance, this help. We are desperate. Others are praying for us. God will deliver so that many will give thanks for the blessing granted to us. So what is the outcome? The outcome is thanksgiving. The outcome is 
blessing. Do you, do you see what Paul is saying here? He's saying that in all of his weakness, in all of his suffering, in all of his despair, he says the very thing that you Corinthians think disqualifies me from ministry, the very thing that you hold against me is in fact something that you ought to give thanks to God for. The weakness, the suffering, because it is through suffering that strength and blessing from God will come. And it is in suffering and in weakness that God's resurrection power is most clearly displayed. And so Scott Haifman says this, we praise God in the midst of adversity, not because things are not as bad as they seem. I'm not gonna tell you things are not as bad as they seem. They probably really are as bad as they seem. We praise God in the midst of adversity, not because things are not as bad as they seem, but because of who God is and of what he does in and through the reality in which we live. This is the truth. The reality is, and some of you are suffering greatly, some of you are despairing of life itself. Take this. The greater your trials today, yes, the greater your sense of desperation ought to be, and the greater your sense of dependence and hope and confidence and thanksgiving to God, knowing that he is a mighty deliverer. What is our present weakness and hardship and despair? It is an opportunity for self to be abased. I can't do it. I turn from all self-reliance. It is an opportunity for God to be honored as you rely on the God who raises the dead. And it is then an opportunity for others to give thanks for the display of God's power in your life. Here's what I want. In a sentence, here it is. God's not done writing the story of your life. He's, the story isn't done yet. And our God is a mighty deliverer, and we know the end of the story because our God is a God of deliverance. The greatest deliverance that the world has ever known was when Christ came into the world and died in our place to deliver us from sin, to deliver us from death. He is a mighty Savior and deliverer. And from that deliverance, a thousand other stories of deliverance will be written in your life. I can guarantee it, and we trust in this God who delivers. I'd like to invite the band to return and invite everyone to stand. Paul says this, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. Christian, he will deliver you. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. As I was preparing this week, the Lord laid on my heart, uh, well, this passage as a whole was laid on my heart, but I believe there are those that God desires to minister to uh, through prayer and prophetic ministry in particular. And it is those who are presently in the midst of a situation of great trial and of great need. There is a very specific situation from which you are needing and desiring deliverance. 
and you, like Paul, are utterly burdened beyond your strength. For some of you, it may be that you despair of life itself. It may be uh, tremendous burdens that you carry. For others, it may be what you would consider smaller, but you've been crying out to the Lord, looking for deliverance, looking for his help in a particular situation. What I want to do, we're going to continue singing now, but as we sing this next song, if you would desire prayer, if you can begin making your way to the front even now, uh, there are prophetic words that we're going to share on the other side of the song that I believe God has for this group of people who are in need of deliverance and who are saying, I need help, I need the prayers of the saints. So I want to invite you even now to come make your way to the front and then after this song, God will continue to minister to us through prayer. Let's sing.